Welcome to the Lock Sportscast, your weekly source for Lock Sport news and sometimes interviews. This is episode 19, recorded October 10th, 2020. I'm your host, Charles Current. In today's episode, a locksmith helps a kidnapped woman, a locksmith shot by a customer, we lost another security industry icon, Sparrow's challenge coins, more lockpicking criminals, what's the deal with lotto locks, and more. You can find this show on most podcast apps, YouTube, and at thelocksportscast.com. YouTube and a few of the podcast apps have restrictions that limit my ability to post full show notes, including all of the links. So for those apps, please go to www.thelocksportscast.com, where I have full show notes, including all of the links. We'll start off with a story uh, out of Midway, Utah, sent to me both by Anarchy One and Cherell. Locksmith helps woman who wrote 911 on hand escape kidnapping. The locksmith, whose name is Greg, was called out to rekey the front door lock, and things seemed off between the woman that lived there and the man that was with her. He said, There was a gentleman that was kind of hovering over her, wouldn't get really more than a few feet away from her. So he had to go out during the process of it. He had to go out and make some new keys at the van, and then he came back into the home, and he said, She's sitting there talking to me about what types of payment I take and everything, and she's kind of turning. She's at a little bit of a different angle. She's holding up her hand kind of like this with her palm open, and she has 911 written on her hand. So obviously that drew some attention from me, but I was wearing a mask, so I couldn't mouth anything to her. He also noted that she had to ask for her phone from the guy to pay Greg over uh, Venmo. He said, that was kind of another little red flag. She's showing me 911 again, kind of making sure that I saw it. And I made eye contact with her to basically let her know, yeah, I saw it. He then called the Wasatch County Dispatch to report what he saw there. The sheriff's office responded, arrested Grant Eggerson on charges of aggravated kidnapping, interruption of a communication device, and assault. He, according to the sheriff's office, he previously dated the woman and became upset that she was dating someone new. Documents state he had a key to her house and showed up on October 1st, took the woman's phone, assaulted her, and made threats to harm himself and burn down the woman's home. The next day, Greg showed up for his scheduled Reiki appointment. The woman told police that she had made the appointment before Eggertson arrived because she didn't want him in the home. Greg said, the lady was pretty smart to be able to do what she did, and so it's not like I was trying to guess what's really going on. She gave me some great clues that there was an issue there. And he says, when I found out that she had been, or that he had been arrested, charged, and stuff, I was kind of like, okay, good, good, that's good. I'm glad the woman, the lady, is safe and that nothing bad happened. And this is a, there's another story here about a locksmith that came up in one of my saved searches. This one out of Atlanta. A locksmith was shot October 8th after refusing to open the door of a Buckhead apartment for a man who would not identify himself, according to the Atlanta Police Department. APD said the shooting happened around midnight at the Millworks Apartments near I-75. The locksmith told APD that 
After he refused to open the door, the suspect pulled out a handgun and shot him. Locksmith fled to Howell Mill Road to call and called police. The victim was taken to a hospital and was in stable condition, according to APD. Investigation to the shooting is going is ongoing. I'll have a story linked in the show notes that has the 911 audio from two different calls that came in about that. After seeing these two stories, it kind of made me think about locksmith safety. And one thing I wanted to bring up is that locksmiths, in a way, are kind of, they have a lot in common with first responders, EMTs, firefighters, you know, police, as far as they're going out to a location, you know, in this case, in the middle of the night, going to people's homes, your first priority is to make sure the scene is safe. That's what they drill into us in EMT classes over and over again is scene safety, scene safety. Make sure the scene is safe. Make sure you're safe to be entering the scene and make sure the scene is safe for others to enter or don't enter. But also be very aware of your surroundings because that scene can change at any time. If your client in this case is getting agitated if you think there's some threat, maybe come up with a reason why you need to go back to your truck for more tools or something to get away from that situation. And in the first story, there's a case of the locksmith paying attention to what's going on. He noticed right away, it sounds like, that something was off. And you really have to trust your gut in those circumstances. Now, I know if she hadn't written 911 on her hand, he really wouldn't have a good reason to call the police. You know, oof, things seemed off. But he did a good job of getting away from the situation and calling police, not doing anything at the scene immediately that could, would have put himself in danger. So in that case, he, he appears to have done everything correctly. He recognized that there was a problem and then he made his exit and called the police to deal with it. So very well done. And just right before I started recording this episode here, uh, I received an email from Terrell. He wanted to make sure that I knew about the passing of a security industry icon, Aaron Fish. And he sent me a link to an article that's titled, Aaron Fish, A Life Well-Lived, Security Industry Icon Leaves a Legacy of Technology Advancements and Community Service. And for those of you who might not know, Fish, uh, who retired almost 20 years ago, was the founder and CEO of Ilco Unican, the largest manufacturer of keys and push-button locks in the world and one of Canada's most successful companies. He also started a myriad of enterprises in the two decades since his retirement. Evidently, about 50 years ago, he developed and launched the first functional mechanical push-button lock. And on October 1st, he lost his battle with cancer at the age of 88. He's survived by his wife, Wally, and seven, seven children and 20 grandchildren. I can't, I mean, I, other than just reading the article to you, which would kind of be plagiarism, uh, I can't really do the story justice. So I, I recommend you go check out the article that I'll have linked in the show notes. It goes into depth about him, his history, and the history of the Ilco company. So definitely. If you have time, go check that out. It's really an interesting story. He he sounds like an amazing person. And then Redhead Lockpicker shared a fun little short video on YouTube that is an interesting 
wooden puzzle lock. It's an interesting little uh, video. I mean, it's it's just a video short. It's nothing too long. It it won't take you long to watch. I can't really do it too much justice, but it, it it's it's this little sliding wooden block puzzle that you have to solve to get the lock to open, and then you have to solve it the opposite way to get the lock to lock. It's kind of cool. Redhead Lock Picker also shared uh, a video about defeating a sliding chain lock using just a rubber band. It's a small demonstration on how to open the door with a chain on the inside, like in a hotel, which is, I believe, where they demonstrated this. The kind of the caveat is you, at least the way he did it, you pretty much have to get your whole arm in the door to do it. And it was pretty noisy and clumsy. So without a lot of practice, you'd alert the people inside the the residence or hotel room pretty quickly, making that much noise. Medler uh, wanted to make sure that we were aware that Sparrows is sending out these like plague challenge coins in some orders. It There doesn't appear to be any rhyme or reason as to who gets them or why. So I sent an email off to Sparrows and just asked them, are they random? Are they included with certain products? Is it limited to certain countries? Anything like that? And what I got back was this simple cryptic little email that said, it's a mystery over here too. I didn't even know about the coins until the emails. Over here, everyone denies they exist. From what I can tell, it's random. What you order or where you order from doesn't matter. Strange thing for strange times. Sparrows, so at yeah, I don't know. Some people are interested. I, I kind of like to have one, but I didn't get one with my order. So, And then in community news, as of October 6th, Brummie's Corbin lock is still undefeated. It should be going to Corncob next, and you can do a search for hashtag PickMyCorbin to see all the videos in this series so far, but it has gone through several different people. And the only one to get open so far that I've seen was Cherokee because she managed to make a key to fit it. So we verified the lock works, but nobody's been able to pick it yet. And there is a list of people waiting to give it a try. So if you're interested, make sure you get your name in there. And Sherelle also shared with me a tweet by Hux or Huxley Pig. If you don't know who he is, just do a quick search. He is like the abloy expert. He made the silver bullet disc lock pick that everybody covets and he's got an updated tour around his lockfall towers which is his shop for everyone who thinks their workshop is cramped watch this and then tell me the same <laughs> he works out of an extremely small little shop it's packed full of uh locks and gear barely room to move in there <laughs> it's it's quite a funny video to to watch as far as how much he managed to pack in such a small little space and i'll have a link to that video in the show notes if you want to check it out Terrell also shared a couple more tweets here this one here is tyler j thomas at i like the falcons on twitter so i may be compiling a pdf of restricted keyway pictures for iding assistance nothing patented not trying to get sued if you're interested in helping slide in my dms You'll get the community result for your efforts and acknowledged. And I'll have a link to that tweet in the show notes in case you want to help him out with that little project. And he shared a tweet by Bobby Keys here. 
that said, this is a 3D printed plug follower designed by Foxy at Red Cat Imaging. I will not sell them, but I will add them in any order over $50 for free. They are made with an LED and I have, and it has an on-off switch at the cap on the end. And he's got a picture of it. It does a great job of lighting up the inside of the lock when you're trying to pin them. So something pretty interesting. You, I'll have a link to that tweet in the show notes. In karate belts this week, we have a new purple belt, Schubert 2700 or Schubert 2700. Congratulations on earning your purple belt. Craig 2.0 earned his brown belt. Congratulations, Craig. And then right before recording again, Bone in the Box made sure that I was aware that they had just announced a new black belt. The announcement reads, I would like to congratulate our newest black belt picker at DRA9I. I don't know how that's pronounced. I don't know if the it's like lead speak and the nine is a G or what. I don't. But DRA9I, who was who has decided to go all out and picked an incredible 10 black belt locks, the Icon R10, WSW, and SK6 Farewell Extra Code, Asa Twin Combi, Twin 6000, Twin 2, Eva ICS, Eva 3KS, Urban Alps Stealth Key, and the Miwa U9. Wow. Congratulations uh, and very well done. I don't know how to pronounce your name, but you I think you've proved you're <laughs> a very capable picker. Redheaded Lock Picker shared a story out of Canada. It's a little old, it's from July, but Moncton man charged with 18 offenses, including sexual assault and firearm offenses. New Brunswick RCMP says on July 14, 2020, they received a report of an assault that had taken place in the area. As part of the investigation, they executed a search warrant on his home and seized several firearms and other items. They arrested Lebenthiller on July 15th. He appeared via tele-remand and was charged with two counts of sexual assault, sexual assault, choking, three counts of uttering threats, three counts of possession of firearms without a license, three counts of knowingly possessing firearms without a license, careless storage of a firearm, careless storage of ammunition, possession of lockpicking tools, and possession of a prohibited weapon. And what makes this story interesting is that the way it reads, it appears he's charged with possession of lockpicking tools because they found him when they searched his house. Not that he was using them, not that he was carrying them around, but they served a search warrant on his house, they found them, and they're charging with him because he had them in his house. So it gives people in certain jurisdictions, especially in Canada, something to think about. Now, don't get me wrong, if he's guilty of the sexual assault charges, he should not be in possession of lockpicking tools. But as my wife and I cover on our podcast, True Crime and Consequences, people are charged and even convicted of things sometimes that they didn't actually do. And if the police suspect you of something and they issue a search warrant and they find lockpicking tools, evidently, at least in certain jurisdictions in Canada, they will charge you with that. Something, uh, something to think about if you're in Canada. And out of Kentucky here, a story that I found on one of my saved searches. It was titled, Second Person Arrested in String of Burglaries. 
A Louisville man was arrested and charged with three burglaries that happened in Hardin County in August. Uh, Jacob Cruncher, 28, charged with three counts of third-degree burglary for breaking into McKinney Locksmith in Elizabethtown on August 13th. Super Slant 3 Car Wash on the 21st. County Suds Car Wash on the 8th in Vinegrove. Uh, at the two car wash break-ins, according to the warrants, the Cruncher and Bobby Pinnell of New Haven removed coin changers from the location. At the McKinney locksmith, the men allegedly broke into the building, removed several thousand dollars worth of tools, money, and keys. The warrant claims that Cruncher gave various business keys to others to commit additional break-ins. And according to the arrest citation, Cruncher told EPD officers he and Pinnell had committed nearly 50 burglaries in Jefferson County. So it sounds like he confessed to 50 burglaries. And at least one of the charges was, a, I believe, a Class D felony, which can carry up to a 15-year prison sentence. And that's just one of the charges. So crime doesn't pay people. Now, I'd like to take a quick break and say thank you to the people that made this episode possible. And we'll start off with the executive producers. We have Medler, Pandafrog, Michael Gilchrist, Starry Lock, and a couple of new ones, Williams Brain and Dave to be deciphered. So thank you to all of you for helping to financially support the podcast. There will be links in the show notes to each of their YouTube channels. Content producers for this episode are Medler, Rune Picker, Starry Lock, Alex Hu, Anarchy One, Redheaded Lockpicker, Cherell, and The Bone in the Box. I will have links in the show notes to all of their YouTube channels, so please go check them out. If you don't already subscribe, consider subscribing. Show them the same type of support that they show me in this podcast, because this podcast wouldn't be possible without their support and without the information they send in. So if you're enjoying listening to the podcast, make sure you go check out their channels and uh, show them some support too. And with that, remember that this show is only possible because of the information that is sent in by you, the amazing members of this community. So if you value the podcast, please continue to send in any news, links, contests, giveaways, anything you have that's Locksport related, no matter how small or how big, send it in to me and I'll make sure that you get a credit on the show. And if you want, I'll include a link to YouTube channels, blogs, whatever you have. Don't forget to share the podcast with your friends, leave a comment and a thumbs up on YouTube. And if you want, there's Patreon and PayPal if you want to support financially. All right. And for the main topic this week, we're going to go over lotto locks. First off, what are lotto locks? Lotto locks are lockout tagout locks. They are used in industry for locking out energy sources on equipment that is going to be worked on or anytime anybody has to go into a dangerous area, remove a guard or work on a piece of equipment. You have to lock out all the potential energy sources so nobody can accidentally start it up while somebody's in that danger zone. There is a misconception along on some online areas that was actually started by OSHA that one key, one lock is the only way, and locks have to be destroyed if they can't be removed by the original authorized user that applied them. The basic rule of OSHA is that 
the person that applied the lock has to remove the lock, if at all possible. If, however, that person is not available and it can be absolutely verified that that person is not there and is not working on that equipment, is not going to be in the danger zone, then once all the proper procedures are followed, the lock can be removed. In a statement in 1995, an uh, interpretation of the rules, somebody at OSHA said that that removal had to be destructive and the lock had to be destroyed, which usually involved bolt cutters in most industry. However, they revised that in 2000, saying that that is not actually the case. If sufficient policies and procedures are in place, you can use a master key, as long as there are procedures to make sure that master key can only be accessed by the person, the manager, or whatever that is in charge of doing that policy and follows all the rules. The one lock, one key rule, which we personally use at the plant I work at, is the, the simplest and the preferred method by OSHA, according to their statement. However, master key locks can be used instead of the one lock, one key rule, provided there are sufficient policies in place and those policies are strictly followed. Key to like can also be used for an employee's personal locks, so they don't have to carry and keep track of a whole ring of keys for their personal lockout locks. They can also be used in the case of a group lockout. So a group lockout, if you have a group of people working on equipment that requires multiple locks to, to isolate multiple energy sources, you can do what's called a group lockout. Locks are placed on all of the lockout points. Keys are stored in what's called a group lock box. And then workers place one of their personal locks on that group lock box, securing the keys to the group lock. And that way they can be assured that Nobody's going to access any of those while they're in there working on it. And you could use key to like locks in that case too, and just put one key in the lock box and everybody secures it. It makes it easier when you're having to lock or unlock multiple locks if they all take the same key, but they have to be used in very specific circumstances. Brady actually has a really good explanation of some of this on their website. And it's the page is entitled Six Considerations When Selecting Lockout Tagout Padlocks. And it's from BradyID.com. And it says key different padlocks. Each padlock has its own unique key, ideal for ensuring that there is no potential key duplication when multiple maintenance personnel need to lock out equipment. Key to like padlocks. Each padlock can be opened with the same key. This option is beneficial when multiple locks are assigned to a single employee. However, it's important to remember that OSHA regulations, no employee should be able to open a lock applied by someone else. Therefore, keyed alike locks from the same set should never be distributed to multiple employees. This type of lock is mostly used when a maintenance individual is responsible for multiple machines or isolation points. It makes it easier to find the right key and reduces the number of keys on a keyring. And like I said, it can also be used in a group lockout situation. Master keyed padlocks. A master key can open all locks, including key to like and key different locks. This allows supervisors to easily remove a lock in the event of an emergency. In order for employees to retain exclusive control, master keys should be kept in a secure location that is only accessible to management. And make sure that the, all the proper policies are followed by that management. 
Grandmaster keyed padlocks. The Grandmaster key can open all locks grouped into two or more master keyed systems. This option is best for applications that with larger teams requiring multiple levels of supervisory access. In order for employees to retain exclusive control, Grandmaster keys should be kept in a secure location that is only accessible to management, just like the other one. And I'll have links here in the show notes for the Brady site and some OSHA websites talking about what lockout tagio is, what group lockouts are, and what and some of the and the two different interpretations, both the old one that was that said the lock had to be destroyed and the new one that says you can use mastered. On the subject of lotto locks, why do they come some of them with plastic bodies, plastic shackles, high pin count cores? Well the high pin count cores is pretty easy. The more pins, the more key differs. And the more key differs, the less likely you're going to have a conflict inside of a business. You do not want two employees having two identical keys. Masterlock even has a program in place where they will track that for your company. They will keep track of what locks you already have so that when you order new ones, they can guarantee that they do not have the same key bidding as any other lock you have at your facility. It's really important. I mean, you can have thousands of lotto locks in a large manufacturing facility. So it can be pretty difficult to keep track of. And as to why security pins, a couple of different reasons I can think of. One is you don't want somebody to accidentally, like sliding a key in, maybe it acts like a rake as it's sliding in and they're able to turn one that didn't actually fit their key. Uh, Security pins would help in that. And the other is maybe it's a manufacturing cost thing. Maybe they have, like Masterlock, maybe they have one line that does all of their six pin lock cores, pinning them up. And it would cost a lot to swap out security pins that they use in their better locks for standard pins. I don't know. All of this is just speculation because I have no knowledge of this. This is outside of my actual working with auto locks. Why plastic bodies? The only thing I can guess is because it's just cheaper and easier to produce. I know plastic like nylon shackles and plastic bodies together work really good for electrical use. There's less of a chance of anybody having an issue there. If it's a non-sparking non-metallic, then it's not going to be conductive. It also can help with corrosion resistance in some areas. That's an issue where I work, but the metal shackles and metal balls in there, locking balls in there don't help with that. And they don't need to be that strong. A nylon shackle and a plastic body or a metal shackle and a plastic body It doesn't matter in this case because the locks themselves don't have to be that strong. Quite often, what they're locking isn't that strong. We use plastic lockout devices to secure valve handles and um, switches and stuff. They're not there to absolutely keep somebody who's intent on, if somebody is intent on bypassing it, they will be able to bypass it. The point is to keep anybody from accidentally, inadvertently causing somebody else harm. You have to, somebody would have to knowingly break the the lock or the locking device off 
to start this piece of equipment. And in which case, they're in a whole heap of trouble. Even if nobody gets hurt and you are caught doing that, you probably are going to be walked out the door as soon as somebody finds out. And sales. We still have the commando lock, 15% off all locks with the code FALL2020 that expires on uh, January 1st of 2021. In giveaways this week, we have uh, Room Pickers Spicy Challenge is going on. Hashtag RP Spicy Challenge, where you have to take a shot of hot sauce before you pick the lock. And you can enter multiple times as long as you keep using a hot or hot sauce each time. So you can check out the hashtag RP Spicy Challenge to see those videos. Pretty entertaining. Alex is still having his Mad Aussie Challenge. You can check out the hashtag Mad Aussie Challenge to see those videos. He's got quite the creative little uh, challenge going on here. And do yourself a favor, check out that hashtag. It'll be in the show notes in case you don't know how to spell it. Starlock is still doing his hashtag shoutout Monday series where he highlights the channel with less than 100 subscribers and tries to get you to go over there and check him out and comment and subscribe. And he incentivizes you to do so by having a giveaway every month for a Law Lock Tools gift certificate. So check out Starlock's channel and check out the hashtag shoutout Monday. Again, it will be in the show notes. I'm still doing my Packlock Month giveaway, and uh, I'm hoping to do the draw probably within the next day or two on the Charles Buildscrap YouTube channel. And we'll see who wins the one for October. Sorry for the delay, but I have been working a lot and I have a vacation this week, so I'm hoping to get some of this stuff caught up. Remember, this podcast needs your support. You can support the show in several different ways, the most important of which is to share your information, anything you have. And I could definitely use some more giveaways shared. We haven't had that many shared with me lately, and I can't get out there and search everybody's out. So send them to podcast.locksportscast.com or go to support.thelocksportscast.com. You can find all those different methods to contact me. Uh, share the show with your lockpicking friends. Leave a review on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcasting app. Leave a comment and a thumbs up on YouTube. If you want, you can subscribe and donate via Patreon or PayPal. If you support the show in one of these ways, you will get a producer credit and I will mention you on the podcast. So if you have a YouTube channel, blog, or anything like that, make sure you send me a link. Thanks and keep it legal. We'll move on to lockpicking criminal news. Redheaded lockpicker. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs>